There's a certain uh, secret dream that we hold in our hearts, and I don't know why we persist in holding it with all the evidence uh, that goes against it, but we, we have this dream that if we could just get to a place where we could do whatever we want, that would be happiness for us. That's, that's what would make our lives good. If we could get to the place where we could set up life the way we wanted and we could basically do whatever we wanted, um, that would be great. When in fact, um, <laughs> what happens to somebody when they actually can do whatever it is that they want? Do you know what happens to you when you can do whatever you want? You start to go insane. And I could, you know, there, I could draw many examples from literature where people have explored this, such as something like Macbeth, you know, the Shakespeare play, where somebody gets to do whatever they want, either by a supernatural power or superpower or something. And what happens is, uh, is not bliss, but a person starts to destroy themselves. Or you could just take examples from real life. Just uh, follow people who win the lottery, Right? You have people who are suddenly wealthy beyond their dreams where money is no longer a limitation and they can do whatever it is they want. And you can follow these stories uh, time and time again and find out that you know, this is not what is good for people. I'm thinking uh, particularly of Roger and Lara Griffiths who you know, by all reports never argued, you know, had a great marriage. And then in 2005, they won $2.76 million. Uh, it allowed them to buy a million-dollar mansion they, and a Porsche, and uh, they took, a, took trips to Dubai and Monaco, and in a few years, they were divorced. Why? Because when you actually can write your own rules in life, set up your life as the way you want it, you start to destroy yourself. Uh, or more to the point... Just take a look at people who are extraordinarily gifted in some way. Uh, they usually come with the, what I call the curse of the extraordinarily gifted. I mean, you take people who are just maybe extraordinarily beautiful or have some talent that just sets them apart from anybody else so far beyond in their field. And you look at what happens to them because very often the people around them start to acquiesce to their desires to have things the way they want. You know, I, uh, a little while ago, I watched this documentary. It was a great documentary. I think it was made in 2011. It was called Bobby Fischer Against the World. And it follows the life of Bobby Fischer. I don't know, you probably remember that name if you, if you have any knowledge of chess at all. And, and you might remember that Bobby Fischer came along. For those of us who were involved in chess, the chess world, he was, he was unlike anybody who I think ever was, like a once-in-a-millennium person. He was so gifted that he, he basically took chess and made it into an art form, but where the rest of us were doing this analytical thing with chess. He just came along and made it into art. And he could, he could just do whatever he wanted on the chessboard. It was just incredible to watch him play. So what happened... Like with a lot of these situations, you had people around him, around Bobby Fischer, setting up, allowing him to set up his life the way he wanted. It was like he wrote the rules. Why? Because they just wanted 
to see him play another game of chess or they just want to see her star in another movie. And the people around tend to like, like whatever you want, whatever you want, just because of their extraordinary giftedness. And what do you see happen, like you saw with Bobby Fischer, is that he went crazy. And a lot of times when people use the narrative with this situation, they say, well, you know, it goes along with being so gifted. He was so gifted at chess, and so he was also a little crazy. No, friends, you could be extraordinarily gifted and not go crazy. But it's because when you get to set up your life with your own rules and write your own rules, this is what happens to you. Start to destroy yourself. So in spite of this repeated lesson that we could, we could see all around us if we were paying attention, we persist in this dream of trying to say, what I really need is to arrange my life to be just the way I want so I can do what I want when I want it. Well, the great city of Ashkelon, the ancient town on the coast of Palestine, witnessed another astonishingly gifted man about whom we are going to read this morning to learn about how God deals with this situation of the extraordinarily gifted. So if you're able to uh, stand with me, if you would, as I read from Judges chapter 14, let's say we're going to read scenes from the life of the man Samson. And through 14, 15, and 16, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read to you scenes. I'll tell you what I'm reading. And just to give you an idea of this man and his life. And I'm going to start in Judges chapter 14, verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV version, if you want to follow along. Again, this is Judges chapter 14, and beginning in verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. And then down to verse 19. Then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, that is Samson. This is after the activities of the wedding that didn't go well. And and Samson went down to Ashkelon struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything they had, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who had attended him at the feast. Now to Judges 15, verse 9. Then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah, spreading out near Lehi. And the people of Judah asked, Why have you come to fight us? We have come to take Samson prisoner, they answered, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men from Judah went down to the cave in the rock of Etom and said to Samson, Don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? What have you done to us? He answered, I merely did what they did to me. 
they said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson said, swear to me that you won't kill me yourselves. Agreed, they answered. We will only tie you up and hand you over to them. We will not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and let him up from the rock. And as he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax, and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Then Samson said, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. When he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath-Lehi. Because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, You have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place at Lehi, and water came out of it. When Samson drank, his strength returned and he revived. So the spring was called en and it is still there in Lehi. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. In the days of the Philistines. And one day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts and tore them loose, bar and all. <laughs> he lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron, which, by the way, was a very far away place. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, you may be seated, please. The great ancient city of Ashkelon was founded at the beginning of the second millennium BC. This was around 1950 BC. It uh, very quickly became a major trading port, a seaport, and it was just a place of great wealth and great fortifications because of that wealth. Um, you can, uh, you can see the memory of Ashkelon even in the Hebrew denomination uh, of the shekel, right? You've heard about the Hebrew money, 40 shekels, right? Well, shekels, what is that? That's basically the name Ashkelon. I'm not sure whether Ashkelon comes from shekel or shekel comes from Ashkelon. But either way, it's the place where you went to make money because it became the major, one of the largest and richest seaports in the Mediterranean Massive ramparts of earthworks, of earthworks that, that went around at a mile and a half long. Their city wall encompassed about 150 acres, probably about 15,000 inhabitants. They are nestled beside the sea. And it was later conquered uh, by the Philistines. This is what the Philistines, according to the Egyptians, what the Philistines look like. 
uh, they came onto that coast and uh, a couple hundred years later, they, they conquered it, made the city even greater. It became one of the five great cities of the Philistines. Um, and the greatness of Ashkelon reverberated through history, even to today. Actually, you still experience the, the greatness of Ashkelon every time you eat a scallion, right? Because uh, if you think about that, why is it called scallion? It's because it came from Ashkelon. Ascalon is where you went to trade and get scallions. So people just ended up calling the, the vegetable by the name of the, of the city where they got it, the Ascalon. So it becomes a scallion. So that's where scallions come from. The names, even in English, even in our day, just remember this. The next time you're eating a salad or something, you bite into a scallion, you're, you're tasting the greatness of Ashkelon. <laughs> So I just want to tell you the kind of city we're dealing with here. And Ashkelon was um, eventually excavated. In 1985, Lawrence Steger of Harvard identified the ancient Tel Ashkelon. It's one of these wonderful situations archaeologically where the modern city is not built on top of the ancient city. The modern city is down from it. And so the ancient city remained, you know, this mound that could be excavated, and he did, found this, you know, amazing stone wall, the city rampart, 45 feet high, sometimes very thick in many places. And seven years later, Steger of Harvard uncovered the oldest man-made arch in the world. That was the title. I think it still holds that title. The oldest built by, per, by people arch. It was made of, of mud bricks and some calciferous limestone. You can see it being excavated here uh, when it was being excavated. Um, and it was an arch over a gate. It was constructed in the Middle Bronze Age. But, you know, when Steger found it, it was still intact. So even though it had been broken down and built up a number of times, he found this one intact, which means that this was the arch that was there in front of the north gate of Ashkelon during the time of Samson. So when Samson would come down to Ashkelon, as he does in chapter 14, he would go through, this was the gate to the north, the arch to the north. So he would probably, I think most probably, we could say he actually went through this gate in this passage in chapter 14, verse 19. So we're probably looking at a gate he would have entered and when, you, and when they excavated it, they found that it was 8 feet wide, 11 and a half feet tall on the inside, and 45 feet long. And so it, it kind of gives you a feeling of the kind of gate, now the gate that, that Samson ripped off and carried to Hebron, that was at Gaza, so it wasn't here, but it gives you an idea of, of the kind of gate that, he, that we're dealing with that he ripped off and carried on his shoulders. This is a guy who could do whatever he wanted. And the sense of, of Ashkelon's gate shows you that when he went down and like, uh, you know, did all his mischief there with the Philistines and then fought his way back out, this is what he was dealing with. And, you know, it was that thick because they would shoot at you, you know, if they were protecting the city, they would shoot arrows at you from the ramparts. Just to give you an idea of, of how difficult it would be as one man to go in and do what he did and get out 
alive. So what does it show us? Basically, Samson is somebody who did whatever he wanted to do. Because he was so extraordinarily gifted, he was a man who could do whatever he wanted to do. You know, Ashkelon is one of my favorite places. I think it's the favorite place that I can go when I go to Israel. I've been blessed to be able to go there a few times. It's one of my favorite places because the Israel National Park System does a wonderful job in conjunction with the university that does the excavation of preserving these sites and as well making them accessible to people. Do a great job. And this is a site that people don't go to that is not visited as much. So you can go there a lot of times just you're by yourself. Um, and it's, it's a great exhibit. I went there myself and, and, I, and I stood in this arch in this archway now that has been made accessible to us. And when I realized I was standing in the place, probably that, that, that Samson himself actually passed through, I flexed my muscles. I stood in the gate there under the arch. I flexed my muscles and I yelled. Now, you want to know why I did that? Let me tell you why. When we meet Samson in these passages that I just read, just these, these scenes of his life, what we, what we meet is one of these extremely gifted people who's going insane, who's basically destroying his life. You know, if there were an obituary, if we were writing an obituary for Samson, we could sum it up in this way. Samson, he wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. That, that, would, that would be on his tombstone, okay? Samson, he wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. And he got it. Consequently, he was a jerk. He was somebody with no self-control, with no actual wisdom. You, you saw it in the first passage we read, right? Chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. He sees this woman at Timnah. He wants her. That's it. End of story. He'll get her. You know, no patience, no wise counsel, certainly no parental advice here in this story is taken. In other words, friends, Samson was an ass. He was an ass because he could get what he wanted when he wanted it. He could set up life the way he wanted it. He rewrite the rules according to Samson. So he did. So if you could just imagine Samson's parents going to Bible study, right? They go to the Bible study and then, you know, it comes time for prayer requests. You're going around getting prayer requests. And, and you would have Samson's parents saying, you know what they would be saying, right? Please pray for our son because he's destroying his life. You know, this is what parents do at Bible studies, right? <laughs> Say, please pray for our son. He's destroying his life. But, you know, even his parents were acquiescing to Samson's giftedness. It was like, whatever you say, Samson. His parents were doing the same thing, just to play another game of chess, just to do something to the Philistines. Parents were doing the same thing. And so that, consequently, this part of Judges, these few chapters, are telling us the story of the ruin coming to Samson over and over by getting what he wanted 
when he wanted it. So there's Samson. There are the passages that we've read. Now, you know, from here in the sermon, I could go in a number of different directions. I could talk about how sin is bondage to us. I could talk about how lust consumes you, your, your thoughts, your time, your energy. I could talk about, you know, the importance of self-control. I could talk about a number of things from the story of Samson. But, you know, there's something more central to this story that I want to talk about with you. There's something that really this story is more about. And that is just to note with you that while Samson was an ass, God still blessed him. God still used him. Why? Like you see, <clears throat> we saw it in what we read in chapter 14, verse 19. Chapter 15, verse 14, what is it? The Spirit comes mightily upon him. The Holy Spirit still comes powerfully upon this man. And, and the key to why that is is found in this sort of kind of a key passage in Judges 15, verses 14 through 17. So if you're looking at that, you know, the, the entire book of Judges is this one large chiasm it's a certain kind of structure that it's ingenious that the author uses. And these few verses are important because they tell us that we're on the sixth level of that chiasm, basically an outline. So they're, they're kind of significant in telling us these verses, were 14 through 19 really, the things that are mentioned in here kind of help set us in the book. And so they're showing the key lines in the story. And it has to do with this jawbone of an ass. What does it say in verse 17, right? He, when he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone. We didn't get one, right? We threw away the jawbone, and the place was called Ramath Lehi, the height of the jawbone. I guess expressing how he lifted up the jawbone. So something of significance here is being lifted up. What is it? Well, the, the answer really is in verse 16 in Samson's boast. And I think, I think it was Ed Clowney who brought this up originally. I think credit goes to Ed Clowney, but he points out that when Samson is making this boast, it's really God talking. What does Samson say? With the jawbone of an ass, I can even take a jawbone of an ass and kill a thousand Philistines, kill a thousand men with it. All I, have to, all, I can do it with a jawbone of an ass. Samson's making his boast, but you know who's really making the boast there? It's God. You know who's really talking? God. Because who's the ass? It's Samson. Samson's the real jawbone of the ass. And do you, do you hear what God is saying here? I can, I can accomplish my purposes, which is relief for my people from these oppressors, the Philistines. I'll do that. I'll accomplish my purposes using even the jawbone of an ass. I can do it even with Samson. <laughs> I will use to accomplish my purposes. So you see, it's God, God making his mo, this boast, if that's the case. It really tells us that this story is more about God than about Samson. Because it's showing us that God has this quality, this unexplainable penchant 
for using the jawbone of an ass. <laughs> it's like he would use Samson even though he was an ass. And that explains some of these puzzling passages in the story of Samson, where, you know, Samson does this ridiculous thing. He does some ridiculous thing, and then it says, and God was in this, <laughs> doing something. What's going on there? God is saying, you know what? I can use even a jawbone of an ass. Watch me. Watch me. I'll even use Samson for this. So, friends, that is why when I was standing there under the arch in the ancient city of Ashkelon, I realized this is where Samson trained. That is why I flexed my muscles and I yelled. Because I, when I look into my own heart, I see the same thing. At the time when that picture was taken, I was in a particular time of discontentment with what was going on in my life. And I was like, what is this? And, and, and I realized at that time, that very moment actually, under the oldest arch in the world, I realized the real problem is that in this situation, I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. Now, I'm not, I'm not as gifted as Samson. I'm not a Bobby Fisher. But in a smaller way, I looked in my heart and I see this is what I do. I take God's good gifts and I spend the spirit of God on myself. I spend it on my own desires. You know, uh, you, you all know I'm, I'm writing this book on dating. Almost finished. Almost done. And, you know, it takes me back to my own experiences in dating. Earlier in my life, I was in a relationship with a woman. And she was great. Her name was Emily. And as I went on with this woman, it was very turbulent. And I just could not hold the relationship together. The relationship just could not hold together. And it was a long time ago. When I look back on it, why it was, I mean, she was a great gal. She really was. Why I couldn't hold things together with her. Why this relationship had to break apart and it did. Why was it? I look at it, you know, the real reason is because I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. And when she got close to me, that's what she saw. It couldn't last. And you know, even now, you know, I'm a different man than I used to be, praise the Lord. But even now I see at times, you know, a Samson. I mean, recently I was on a, a long drive with my wife and my daughter. We got into a huge fight. I mean, it was a really bad fight. It was tearful and all. And, you know, afterwards I'm looking at that. Like, why is that... Why do we get in such a bad fight in that car ride? And the reason why is because I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. That's the real reason. And I realized that under the arch, I am the jawbone of the ass. I am Samson. You know, I was actually preaching once about this in Ashkelon. It was one of, actually one of the great pleasures of my life. Is I was able to preach on Samson 
in Ashkelon, in a church in Ashkelon. It's only like a highlight of my life. And uh, I was doing it through, I was working through a translator as I was speaking English and she was translating into Hebrew. And I got to this part actually where I did the same thing. I went, ah! Well, this was a little bit hard on the translator. <laughs> so she looks at me and she's like, I, you know, how do I say this in Hebrew? You know, ah. and I said, you know, it's like, ah. This, this lovely one, this is Grandma Allah. <laughs> Remember Allah. So she turns to look at the people and she just says, ah. <laughs> didn't quite translate, didn't quite work. But the point is, I realized I am Samson. And yet, and yet, he still uses me. The Holy Spirit of God still comes upon me still to do his work, still uses me to build his kingdom, to advance his purposes, to remain part of the game because of my goodness? Oh, no. On the contrary, in spite of my lack of it, what does this tell you about him? What does this tell you about God? Well, I'm reading an Old Testament with a relatively new believer, and we keep going through these Old Testament stories, and, and this person keeps coming back with the same question. question is, how come God liked these people? <laughs> we, keep, we keep reading about Old Testament characters, and the question that keeps coming is, how come God liked these people? Like, what's there to like? Because, you know, we know this. If you, if you represent your company poorly... If you, if you go out and do something and it's not reflective of your company, what happens? You get canned. You're gone. You're fired immediately, right? That's what happens. And that's appropriate, right? If, you don't, if you're kind of out there representing your company or your organization, or your church, whatever, you know, and you don't represent that well, you're gone. Like this week we saw Viacom CBS. It dropped Nick Cannon like a hot potato, when he came out with the, the co certain comments that he did, Viacom CBS said, that's it. You're gone. No questions asked. Because that's smart management, right? If you, somebody is out there, you're like, okay, you're not, we don't, we're disassociating with you. Right? That's smart management. Well, apparently God is just a lousy CEO. Because... He, sh Samson should have been fired. He wasn't. I wasn't. That's why I flexed my muscles under the arch. Well, that is me. But let me ask you, you know, are there times when you're in the place of Samson? Because sometimes the least likely person might be somebody who has seen Samson, the least likely person. <laughs> and that is why this woman um, followed me under the arch. What is it that you might be prying, need to have your fingers pried away from? In what ways are you using God's gifts to get what you want on yourself? Well, you don't have to go the way of Samson 
You don't have to go in his rather self-destructive path. How, how not to? Well, I want to point out one other thing from this particularly key passage in the story of Samson in verses 17 through 19. I just point out to you, if you'll notice, there's a contrast. There are two sites that are named. There are two, two sites that are named after events that occur. And they actually are, are named for the opposite reasons. They're, they're, they're a great contrast in verse 17 and verse 18. What happens in verse 17? Well, as we read, he finished speaking. Samson, he takes the job and he throws it away. And the place is called Ramath-Lehi. You know, it's very interesting that the narrator includes for us that, that detail. It's like that he, he took the job and he threw it away. He discarded it. And so that's the one naming of a place that happens. Then you look at verse 18. Where Samson has realized he's so thirsty, he's about to die. And he's like, I'm going to die, and, and for myself, I'm going to end up with the Philistines anyway, you know, taken by them because I'm going to die of thirst. And what happens? Well, who's the jawbone, remember? It's Samson. What does God not do? He doesn't throw him away. Instead, God opens up the hollow place in Lehi. Water comes out of it. Samson drinks his strength returned and he revived. And so the spring is called Enhekore. And the narrator is like, and it's still there, by the way, at his time. You can still go see it. You notice that, why is he bringing that up? Because in this instance, what do you do if you're just using a job out of an ass? Of course, after you've accomplished your purpose, you throw it away. But he doesn't. God does not throw Samson away. He doesn't discard him. It's, in verse 19, it's very much in character. Instead of discarding his tool, he refreshes him. And so God brings water out of the wilderness. How could God do this? Well, many years later, many years later, a man was standing teaching a group of people and he said, you know, out of me will flow life-giving waters. And his name was Jesus Christ. So God looked ahead. What was going on here is that he looked ahead and saw Christ bringing water out of the wilderness. And because of what Christ did, he could grant victories and refreshment to Samson. He had blessing for Samson, even in his assness, because Christ brought water for him because of what Christ was going to do in taking his punishment. So God never threw him away. Because of what was coming and the water that was coming in Christ, he never threw him away. Even though Samson faced some very hard times, on account of his lack of self-control. You know, it's not like, it wasn't like being the jawbone of an ass made his life easy. <laughs> you know, there were repercussions for what Samson did in being an ass, and he, and he feels them over and over again throughout his life. But even so, God never abandoned him. He never cut him off. He never discarded him. And that is why the place is named En Hekore.
the fountain of the crier. And so even to the end of his life, when Samson at last calls upon God for strength, when he needed it really at this point for God's purposes, not his own, because he, he was killed by it, God answers him. He's still there. He's still with him. Friends, Christ took our assness on the cross. Do you see his heart? Do you see his heart in the way that he deals with you in your life? Because of Jesus, he will give you and me to drink as well. Even if you've been the jawbone of an ass, because of Christ, he will refresh you. Because of Christ, he will incorporate you into his work in sometimes striking ways. And that's why we can all flex our muscles under the ancient arch of Ashkelon and rejoice in the God we serve. Amen? Amen.